Here we go. I do believe we are live. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Break the Rules. Left Polyakov at Left Po coming at you. Giant Gio Giovanni Panacchietti in the house, and we are here talking with the amazing Jonathan Peugeot, Icon Car Carver, the uh, host of this Symbolic World, one of my favorite podcasts of all time. I think that you and, of course, Jordan Peterson and uh, people from within the sphere are doing incredibly important work today, squaring the circle, so to speak, of all the uh, various things that are going on in our world. So I am absolutely grateful to have you as a guest today. And uh, also, everybody who is watching this, don't forget to subscribe. Subscribe right now. You know you want to. You know you need to. You need to subscribe <laughs> to break the rules. Anyway, we are going to get started with the first question, which is, uh, Jonathan, you were mentioning uh, that uh, you were not always Orthodox Christian and were not always interested in creating these beautiful uh, icons. And you also mentioned that Christianity was something you saw as different before you started getting into it. Can you please talk a little bit about that? What was this different Christianity that you saw before versus the Christianity you see today? Uh, well, first of all, thanks for inviting me. It's, uh, this is, hopefully this is going to be a lot of fun. So, uh, what's the different? <laughs> all ours. <laughs> yeah, and Gio, I've been following you. I guess I've been following you for a few years on Twitter. I, I kind of see yeah. stuff go by in your art and everything. So, uh, so the, I grew up, I, I guess I grew up in a strange situation, which is that I was a French-Canadian who's who grew up in an evangelical world so already that's a bit my odd. god that's that's terribly strange like yeah oh man so it was a little odd but it was fine like i mean there was a genuine love of christianity my father was a very uh authentic person he is still in a very authentic person and my family was we really kind of prone to authenticity and this desire to to find the truth no matter what and so i grew up in that sphere but it i when i became when i came into my 20s i felt like there was a, a disjunct with the way that christianity was presented in kind of general protestantism it seemed like people's intuition were were awakened in a proper way but i would say that if you looked at how the world was presented it was mostly like just basic materialism with a story layer on top of like of of you know god becoming man and dying for your sins and all that but there was no like there just seems like the connection was difficult to make and and it ended up forcing people to do all kinds of weird things like embrace uh try to talk about the bible as if it's a scientific text and you know try to defend scripture uh that way and actually be be suspicious of narratives suspicious of story structures because it it would make them feel like it didn't really happen that kind of stuff um and uh, so it led me into kind of a spiritual crisis which was solved by just reading the church fathers, especially St. Gregor of Nyssa, St. Maximus the Confessor, and kind of the, the fathers that have a more metaphysical, a clear metaphysical underpinning to what they're talking about. And uh, and so then all of that kind of came together in, with iconography as well, you know, discovering the ancient language of Christianity, this kind of universal language that it developed in the first millennia, and just how powerful it was. Like it was really a map to reality is the only way to describe it. Uh, By the way, my biggest my biggest apologies right now. I have to go for two minutes. There is a package, and they urgently need me to uh, do something. Oh I, I swear, that's that the reason. Geo, please don't worry, take over. I'll... Yes, He'll don't worry about, about me. Yes, I have many many things. Oh, but, uh... and also, Sneed super chats. Sneed <laughs> yes, super chats. I will show love. Um, so super chats, of course, um, because it's an exciting opportunity, and hopefully, uh, this will be one of uh, many encounters that we have. But let me ask you, um. Did you usually people in North America they tend to discover orthodoxy through Father Seraphim Rose? Um, 
it seems that being in Quebec, like Catholicism, like me being a Catholic, Catholicism is almost like almost a natural, well, I mean, post-60s Quebec, ugh, right? But it seems that Catholicism would be like a natural outgrowth. But what led you down the path of orthodoxy instead? Was it just happenstance? or uh, No, not at all. I mean, at first, I would say that I kind of became interested in tradition in general, reading the perennialists, like reading René Guénon and, mm. and all of that. Mm. Uh, and so then, like a lot of people, through Guénon, I discovered Seraphim Rose, you know, like you said. Uh, but my first kind of intuition was to go towards Catholicism. And so kind of looked around, but I was, I did, I was never baptized Catholic. Like I, I did, it's not like I grew up Catholic and I went away from it. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I kind of looked around and felt and had the sense that I was going to jump into a ship that like, it's like I was jumping into a church. I was trying to be as Protestant as, as they could handle. And so I was leaving the Protestantism to go there. Uh, and so I got interested in kind of traditional Catholicism, uh, you know, uh, kind of fraternity of St. Peter stuff. Hmm. But it just, at least at the time when I was looking into to Christianity, uh, looking into to kind of traditional Christianity, it just wasn't available. Like I remember writing a priest and he answered me like a month later and he said, there are no liturgies nearby, but maybe in a few months we might do something. And so all of it, uh, it looked weird. But some of my friends, like the, at that time, we were a, a little crew of people who were exploring these ideas, my brother and, uh, and a friend of his, and he ended up going towards Fraternity of St. Peter and is still there now, you know, and mm. he's still in the kind of Latin Christianity. But I would say that in retrospect, though, you know, having discovered St. Gregory of Nyssa and St. Maximus and kind of discovering the more the hesychastic fathers and, you know, the Jesus prayer, it just seems like in the end, it, it just orthodoxy has preserved more of the mystical, the mystical aspect of Christianity and the iconography, too. It's the same. It's, I really did fall in love with medieval art, but mm -hmm. medieval art just not doesn't exist anymore. It's, it would be it would be in the Catholic Church. It would be something like an idiosyncrasy or, uh, you know, kind of a nostalgic move, whereas in orthodoxy, there's nothing nostalgic about making icons at all. It's just it's just the language, the community language of the church. Um, and so it all kind of it all kind of made more sense. Um, and then, like like you said, all, also there are just events that happened where someone I met someone who was Orthodox, and he kind of brought me into to church during uh, during Lent at a pre-sanctified liturgy. And anybody who's been to a pre-sanctified, you know, it's all candles and bowing to the ground and putting your face on the ground. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh man, this is mine. Like I want this so much. Well, so it, yeah. But it's funny you mentioned that about an idiosyncrasy. There there is. By the late, like I would say, the very late Renaissance, going into the Baroque, going into well, then eventually Surrealism, uh, it seems it is kind of an asterisk. I mean, anachronistic. There are some people, like of course Giovanni Gasparo, uh, but that it does tend to come off as as um, not a living tradition, but rather sort of, I guess you could say, as much as I love his art in particular, the uh, you know the worship of ashes type of deal. Yeah. Um, but but what would you say just because I really do want to talk about our but now that we're on the orthodoxy subject, <laughs> what would you say to the um, question that people have of converts to orthodoxy or rather the criticism people would have that orthodoxy is so inherently based to the, let's say, the ethnic inherently based That's inherently based. Oh, it is inherently based. I would agree. Um, <laughs> Orthodox people, they're absolute bros of us. Yeah. Um, what would you say that these churches are so fundamentally based within the ethnos of their particular church, whether it be Serbian Orthodox, 
uh, Ethiopian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, that really they almost are sort of quasi-Cesaro-Papist and that really for someone who isn't of that ethnic base, then you won't quote-unquote fully get that message or is that just more of like and, a, and an I also unfair want to add criticism? One, well, I also want to oh, yeah, add one ahead. thing into that question, which is would you also consider... Uh, the Russians, for example, I'm originally from uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, by the way. Would you consider the Russians as people who kind of like pretty late into their history? You could even say that before that they weren't really called Russians. Like there was the Kievian Rus and all that. But pretty much late into their history, they adopted the uh, Byzantine style when it came to the iconography and all that. So I'm curious about your response to uh, Geo's question in relation to that kind of borrowing as well. Yeah, well, I think that it, the example of the Russians is a good example to understand the manner in which we actually have like a map of how uh, kind of the, the Byzantine, let's say the Byzantine spirit or the spirit of the fathers and the spirit of iconography, the architecture can be transferred to a completely different ethnic group and slowly kind of take on the flavor and the, the aspect of the group in which it's being, it's being assimilated. Um, one of the issues we have today is that we're all in a hurry, like everybody's in a hurry for it to happen really fast. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's the wrong approach. In, in America, we have two jurisdictions, I would say, the OCA and the Antiochian Church, that have made a really a great effort to, first of all, translate the liturgy into, into English and incorporate the good aspects of the West, you know, as they slowly kind of, uh, you know, as they slowly, and you can see it, like if you look at Orthodox converts today they're all obsessed with Tolkien and they love C.S. Lewis and you know there are certain authors and certain people that they still will will gather into their experience of orthodoxy and will create a different flavor um, and that's that's totally that's totally fine and so but it's going to be it's going to be messy it's going to be it's going to be uneven and it's going to go one direction it, you know it's going to go a little too far into the into one direction and then a little too far in the other. It's the same with the converts. They're super strict. And then, you know, so this stuff is going to happen. It's, it's always going to be messy. But I think that, I think nonetheless, that I really do see a possibility of a real integration. Like I, I've seen some, like the OCA in the South, for example, in the U.S. is, mm. is so well lived. And like there is this powerful like community and there's all the good stuff of Protestantism, you know, the sense of community of like, community involvement, tithing, like this idea of like, this is ours, we really need to give to it and participate it, in it. Uh, and but then bringing in the, all the beauty of the, the Byzantine tradition. So it's, I think it's, it's definitely possible, but, it, but it's not, not going to be like an easy road. If you, people becoming Orthodox, like, don't expect it to be easy. It's going to be hard. I mean, hopefully without the heretical nature of Protestants. Uh, <laughs> oh. Well, I, I also wanted to tie in what Gio was going to talk about art. There is also the uh, subject of uh, the uh, various stages of consciousness that I wanted to get into a little bit later. But since we are on the subject of art, I wanted to uh, ask your thoughts on uh, Andrei Rublev. So for those who don't know Andrei, he was a uh, considered to be a famous uh, Russian uh, painter back during the 15th century. His most famous uh, work being the, um, the uh, Trinity. But uh, what I'm curious about is um, there's um, 
Alexander Nevzorov, who is this famous uh, Russian uh, media figure who likes to uh, dissect, and he's not a particularly religious man, but he likes to dissect a lot of different things that have gone on through the uh, through the centuries. And when he was looking at the uh, Trinity of Andrei Rublev, just the history of this uh, uh, very, uh, very beautiful painting, the conclusion that uh, he came to based on, uh, you know, the archives that he saw through around the time of the USSR, like the beginning of the USSR, uh, there was a specialist who went in there and started to peel away some of the uh, topmost layers. And he ended up revealing a very different uh, painting, one that you could say, you know, based on, you know, how many different layers uh, it has gone through. Because again, it's like in a monastery or uh, it's something that's being exposed to a lot of lights a lot of candles, you know, a lot of uh, moisture. So you would keep drawing various layers on top of painting various layers on top. So my question is, would there have been something that would have considered to be, let's say, more holy and truer to whatever came, you know, to whatever was the original versus the layers that were added on top? Because certain things, for example, the cup, if you look at the um, if you look at the uh, icon, I'm going to link it in the chat. Yeah, over do you here. have the image, love? Yes, I do. Painting? So, so if you look at the icon over here, you will see that the cup looks pretty different from the um, from the uh, saints themselves. Like it's kind of uh, you know it's made of all these lines. And the other interesting thing to me is that the faces here even they retain a very different quality. So it may be that the faces were left alone and they were not shipped away. While the other layers you could see over here, there is evidence of uh, painting uh, being chipped away around here. And I am curious, like, what would you say would be the original true thing? The layers on top, would they also have the same uh, hol holiness to them or, uh, or no? Yeah, well, oh, that's a good question. So the first, the first thing to understand is that the holiness of an icon doesn't come from its paint. Uh, right, the holiness of an icon comes from what is represented. The, the 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 reverence posed to an icon is based on the prototype. That is, it's based on the image that you're encountering. So it's a very different approach to um, to art than what we have now. It, we we don't see, for example, the idea of modifying an icon if it gets broken is not at all a problem. Like it doesn't bother anybody in the traditional world to modify. If like an icon gets a part of it gets rubbed off, like just paint over it because the image itself is what the image itself is what is being venerated and so like like the question you asked for example like to me all of that sounds very much irrelevant like it's very irrelevant to wonder what is the original original painting that was there just like it to me it's irrelevant to ask like is this little word was it in the original scripture like that kind of uh that kind of approach that you get from um from uh, modern scholars. Um, so the, the, what makes Rublev's Trinity important too is that it was copied. And so it became the model for that image in, in Russian Orthodoxy. And it was actually officially asked by some councils to copy Rublev. Like if you're gonna, if you're, if you're an iconographer, copy Rublev. If you wanna make an image of the Trinity, copy Rublev. And so the life of the image of the Trinity of Rublev doesn't just exist in his painting, but exists in the network of copies and the reverence that that network evokes for the original and how that original then moves on into the, the actual I mean, image that it's representing. To me, that's that's utterly fascinating because it really, it delivers the, the practice of icon painting and iconography and to a certain extent other 
forms of art you find in Catholicism beyond merely that which is aesthetic in terms of the work of art possessing, I guess, what would Benjamin would call the aura. So there is this mark of originality, for example, conservationists, they like go at pains to not modify the painting, right? Um, whereas with iconography, it's not so much, and I think, well, we'll get into this because uh, I wanted to bring up this particular book. It's very similar to, for example, um, a lot of Zen art, a lot of Chinese like um, literati painting in that. It's not so much even the direct name of the artists themselves that are doing it. For example, a lot of Basho's poems were pretty much from his students that he would like put under his name. It's more about the practice itself. So in that sense, so how would you differentiate the icon from merely the quote unquote aesthetic? Like for example, what is the the term energia? What is the energy of the icon? Oh, that that becomes very complicated. In the sense, I mean, the the energy just means the way that it acts. Like it just means acting, like the mm. or the, the 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 actions of something or the or their energies, you know. Uh, and so the 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 eye. So it's it's once again, you always have to remember, like that the image, the image is not the is not just the paint. Like it's not just the painting, right? There's something about it which is it's it's pointing towards the the prototype and so let's say rublev rublev captured something of that scene so let's say let's think about how he did it so this image is an image which existed before it's called the hospitality of abraham and it it's abraham receiving the three angels right and so usually in the traditional image you would have abraham and his wife and then you would have the angels in the middle and then you would have someone sacrificing the animal like you'd have all this stuff and so Rublev was able to condense the image. So he took the tradition, it's a traditional image, and he condensed it in a way which revealed something about that event that, that, that resounded as being very true to the people who encountered it. And that's why it was copied and that's why it, it, it was perpetuated as a, as a tradition. Uh, and so th maybe that is an answer to your question in the sense that that's how the icon is acting in the world, but it's doing that by it's like a mini revelation. So when you look at the image of the I, Rublev's Trinity, you're capturing, some, you're able to encounter something about that event in, described in scripture, which is revealing to you a mystery about God, about communion, about the Trinity, uh, you know, the way that they're looking at each other, the way that the space in front is open. You know, there's all these theories about why it is that that image has an effect on you. But of course, that, that description, like that's all secondary to the actual encounter with that image mm. but then uh, for me the question here is what can be gotten rid of in the image or let's say replaced ship of theseus style uh and still have it retain what is important so for example what i was uh, showing earlier over here in the chat is you have the uh, figure over here on the uh, rightmost side and if you look at the uh, later uh, rendition over here with the eyes, yeah, the hair the curls eyebrows, are gone too. Yeah, the hair curls and also the eyebrows are, let's say, more in line with the Eastern Orthodox over here. Like the, uh, you, not a unibrow, but, you know, they're kind of close together. While over here, the eyebrows seem to be a little bit, uh, a little bit different. So for me, the question is, what is not important and what is important in terms of what makes the icon? Or even with the nose, the nose over here is straight and the nose in the other one is is uh, curved. Well, the, you mean, do you mean the specific icon or do you mean just make it an icon? I like guess if, in general. An icon, an icon so, in general, so in general yeah. it's very simple. Like 
an icon in general, for an icon to be an icon, it needs two things. Like canonically, it needs to have the name of the saint and then it needs to have an image of the saint. That's what you need for it to be an icon, which is kind of recognized as an image in the church. Then from there, from then on, it's really tradition. But tradition is not something that you can completely quantify. It's not, it's, that's not the right approach, right? It's like, if, it's like if, if you're dancing and then I ask you, well, if you put your feet two step, like two feet to the right or one foot to the right, is it still the same dance? Or if you put it like six, six inches this way, is it still the same dance? I'm like, dude, I don't know how to answer that question. It's like dance and I'll tell you, right? Just dance in front of me and then I'll tell you if you're doing the dance or if you're not. But if you if you try to break it down in its specifics, then it not it doesn't it doesn't hold. But, but there so still are like, certain canonical things, right? Like there is, for example, certain poses that have to be struck, certain outfits that have to be worn. If let's say we would have had somebody going, um, I don't know, off the uh, off the tradition a little bit, take somebody like, and I know that this would not be uh, uh, in the same realm, but somebody like Gyoto, for example, who at least I see him as somebody who's in the middle of Renaissance and uh, medieval yeah. style. Or and like Cadavaccio would be yeah. a good example as well. And if and if you were to have somebody who would uh, go off uh, and do their own thing in a way while still retaining <laughs> what I would consider to be a holiness, would that yeah. be something that the church fathers, you know, would uh, annihilate them for? So, okay. So let's let's look at let's look at a few things. The first of all, what you're describing happened, and so the idea that the the, the images that were painted in the time of Rublev, uh, although the counts, although some of the counselors just said copy Rublev, like because there was a lot of innovation, especially coming from the West, uh, it didn't necessarily happen. The art in the Orthodox Church did become Western. It did become Renaissance, Baroque style, uh, and then it collapsed. So in the 19th, late 19th century, early 20th century, it, it, all of it collapsed. In, in the, let's say, in the, even in the late 19th century, you would have struggled to find a, a, an icon painter. And you read, in the 20th century, you read about people who are searching like in little villages to find people who paint icons. Uh, and so think of it as an art that almost died. Like it, it just came almost to its end. And now it, it's in the renovation of the icon that now we're wanting to make icons again. So we're asking ourselves, okay, I want to make icons, but obviously this art was, was, was started to break down. Why did it break down? And we look back, we start to look at the things which kept it alive, let's say, or the things which made it thriving and participate in, uh, in, in the liturgy. And then we end up focusing on those things. But it, it's, there's an intuition, there's an intuition, there's something about tradition which is not this, which is, it's, it's like a human transmission. It's not a, it's not always something which you can completely define. So you, a way to understand it would be something like this. Um, if you're making an image, if you're making something which you want to integrate into a community, then you will have a certain approach to it. Like you'll do it in a certain way. Like if, I, if I'm making a guitar for a guitar player, I will make it so that the guitar player can play it. Mm -hmm. So if, my, if I'm trying to make a new guitar that has, you know, like 25 strings and, and, I, I'm, and I'm, like, I'm like, here, someone ordered a guitar for me and I make this weird guitar, then the guy is going to say, well, what, the, what is this? Like, why, why are you giving me this thing? And so it's the same with something like icons. Like I make an icon to be integrated into a community into a church, into, into a, something that already, a language that already exists. 
So if I write a letter, I'm not going to make up words because I want my letter to be understood. So if I make an image, I'm not going to make up stuff because I want it to enter into communion. And so it's a better approach than trying to find the, the elements, like to say, if it doesn't have this, then it's not an icon. Mm. Then it doesn't. Every time someone does that, I will find an icon that has exactly the things you're saying are not, are not iconographic because the, there's actually quite a bit of variety. But it's the wrong question to ask because why are you trying? Like, let's say you're making an I, image. I, I can explain why, actually. Yeah, so yeah. if we're talking about the 19th century and so on and so forth, of course, you could say that the uh, stream, the rivers of information were overflowing and people started to Yeah, yeah why, like, did, uh, why did Orthodox icons fall off at that period? I mean, I know it was it was pretty much suppressed during the, uh, you know, the yeah, well, one but period. Before, no, but it's, before it's, the it's Peter. It's Peter, Peter, Peter the Great. Oh, okay. Yes. So Peter, Peter, Peter the First uh, was, tried to create a kind of Protestant church, I guess, tried to subjugate the church to- Got rid of the old believers, for instance. Yeah, he, and so he, he subjugated the clergy. This clergy basically became state employees at that point, and he wanted to be a French aristocrat. And so he imported artists from Italy, and he started to want to change the art and kind of pushed towards this, this renovation. Um, and, uh, and so that's what happened. And so now people look back and see that period as the start of the decline of orthodoxy in Russia and, uh, and leading to the revolution, basically. And so we're saying, okay, well, let's not do that again. Let's, let's, let's now find the elements which are kind of universal and, and, and can, can, per, can be perpetuated now. And, it, and modernism is part of that. Like modernism has also made it possible to make icons. There's a, mm, there's a yes, very good yes. connection between mm. uh, uh, Maurice Denis and the, some of the French Catholic modernists and the, the renewal of icons that happened in France because the yes. renewal of icons started to really appear in the French in the Russian emigres in Paris. And so, so like the breakdown of the, of the, the hold on perception that the Renaissance and the Baroque and the neoclassical kind of uh, imposed on us, that break permitted, made it possible for uh, the, the ancient language of the icon and the medieval language to kind of be understood away in a, understood again in a, fre in a fresh way. Uh, almost a kind of like how postmodernism strangely now Leads makes to it possible to be christian again like it's mm -hmm. like okay you break down all the okay well, i just want to be my thing like just let me be my thing and then you know that's fine but that's, well, it, see that's right up my alley that's a lot of work that i've done both in art and in writing but it's first of all as an Italian, a brilliant artist by the way well, i'm not that brilliant, not compared to jonathan here yes i mean yes, we, we both work with wood though i but i'm more of a print maker he's an icon carver um, but that's and, and twenty dollar patronage, you no know, thirty dollar patronage gives you <laughs> well, a beautiful print. Lev, Le if you could throw up a, well, it's not my finest woodcut, but uh, the Vefio Wenchev <laughs> series. Um, oh, here, I'm gonna I'm gonna search for. But as an Italian, I'm deeply Jonathan sorry. I'm deeply sorry. We totally pigeonhole Christian art. I'm <laughs> very sorry. Um, but it's but it's fascinating though. Uh, oh God, what what you were saying about how um. It's not so much the comportment of the artist as an individual, I guess what Heidegger would call subjectivism of the sort of the idea of like formalism, the art for art's sake. It's rather just orthodox iconography evolving for that particular people, that particular time. Uh, I think that's, it's, it's sort of like 
it's a more nuanced idea than what people normally think of in terms of the icon being like this hardcore, you have to follow these steps. You have to paint by the mm. numbers. It's you're seeing like, I, I remember um, in preparation for this, one of my favorite books on art is actually by an Orthodox. Um, and I think your journal reviewed it. Um, Icons and time persons in eternity. Um, that's one of my favorite um, art theory books. Mm. And, and they were talking about how, from Byzantine art onwards in Russia and Greece and elsewhere, there were sort of the different flavors in different sort of appearances of Orthodox icons. So it's not really this very like rigidified series of just replicating yeah. uh, tradition. So but, the, very, but, but I do, but yeah. I do want to push back a little bit on that. Just if we're oh, talking yeah, about ahead, not the nine, not the 1900s or 1800s, even like pre Peter, the great time. I think this goes to real primal thing that a lot of people online around geosphere are uh, dealing oh, with no, when it go. comes to no 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 <laughs> so here you we go. Russian history loves here we go. go yes when so. it comes to the balance of order and chaos because from what I understand back in the day it was pretty damn strict when it came to all of these uh, church fathers making sure that things were done in a very specific way if we're talking again about 15th century 14th century like around that time it was very strict and yeah. there were incredibly harsh punishments that would be leveled to people if they did not follow suit yeah so i am curious how would you say the uh, tr more traditional leaning uh, communities are dealing with let's say the bursting forth of modernity now that there isn't this uh, sam height style uh neck lock to hold everybody in place um okay so i feel like there's a lot of things in your question first 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 thing i would say is in terms of the art let's let's just for now stick with the art the way to understand it once again is to understand that originality or non-originality or have no value in in, in themselves like they're mm. this is one of the problems the problems that is that you have two extremes which is you have this extreme desire to be original and to be different and to do my own thing and then you have this then you someone reacts and says no you have to copy everything just copy 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 and the re the reality is that that's not how tradition works tradition doesn't work that way tradition is actually far more flexible but also looks more rigid to us moderns because why would you change it if you don't need to change it like you don't change something to change it just because you're bored with it you it, it, there's a natural way in which things will adapt to their milieu that will kind of em be embodied in different spheres. And there'll be all kinds of reasons why that difference will appear. Uh, but no one is looking, no one is like doing it on purpose. And so like the Russians aren't saying, well, we need to make a Russian version of these Byzantine icons or else, you know, well, you know what, what's, what's up with that? They're not saying that. They're just making Byzantine icons. And then in 200 yeah, years, sure. then all of a sudden they're Russian Byzantine icons. And no one noticed. It just happened because that's how reality works. It's like, you know, you do you, you do something, you know, you're making a it's like it's like your mother's your mother's uh, pound cake tastes different from the one you would get it at the store. But it's not like your mother said, oh, well, I need to be different from the store. I need to No, She's just making a pound cake the best way she can. The best way How do we know there think... weren't any mothers, though, around that time that decided to put some other ingredients in the pound cake and they got pounded for putting those ingredients in the pound cake as a result i mean i there's i'm certain that like for example like uh, a young iconographer let's say a young monk who's wanting to paint icons and he's doing weird things would have been maybe slapped in the back of the head by you know the 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 older monk and it's like what are you doing what is this like 
and then and then but then it, it, it would have just and then that person would just wouldn't have gotten commissions anyways like if someone was doing something really weird then they just wouldn't have gotten commissions and then we wouldn't know about them because no one would have cared about what they were doing like idiosyncrasy idiosyncrasy has a natural way of disappearing in a traditional world it's not that it doesn't exist it's just that it just kind of vanishes because no one no one really attends to it too much and like for and so a good example would be that in for even in the west is a good example like in even in the middle ages in the manuscript tradition there's far more variety because it was private there was room to it just happened normally because it's private that there's less stricture but let's say if you're going to make a, an image in public for you know uh, 500 people that go to church then you want the people to see it and say oh yeah that's an image of the ascension you don't want people to go like what what like what is this what, what is he doing that, that's not that you don't want to draw attention to that you want to make want people to recognize it um and so it, it's more about embodied living like it's about the way in which communities come together the way in which uh and so you're right, there probably was some some stricture in terms of the the, the iconographers, but um, like well, some of those iconographers, like some of the really famous ones, uh, there's some wild stuff in their in their icons. There's some pretty wild stuff. It's just that sometimes that wild stuff like kind of didn't land or didn't didn't continue to be perpetuated. Like there's some marginal, weird images at yeah. Mount Athos of like in the in the apps of the of uh, the holy of holies where it's like G baby jesus cut up into pieces inside the chalice and it's like that exists but it didn't yeah. become like the normal practice of, of what, what year well, is that one i would love to take a look at that well, even i mean it's, it's probably like 16 17 it's probably around there it's not that it's not that well, not that late just like the later Baroque mannerism i mean you had all sorts of weird dragons and ghouls and uh like zobodon painting uh hands within the eyes and yeah so i guess but also i think I, there's just a natural mannerism that comes with the character of each location in each time um let me let's fast forward before we get into the real heavy art discussion um what was iconography looking not the what it looked like but what was the conditions of iconography <clears throat> under two movements so let's say under Russian cosmicism, so like the Russian modern art from Malvich onwards, and also under the Soviet Union. Um, I, I don't think iconography was uh, fared very well um, under the hands of Stalin and Brezhnev, but I don't know. Yeah, well, at the beginning, there was like a purge, just like everything. You know, you, you do see images of uh, icons kind of gathered into, you know, hundreds of icons gathered into carts and then uh, burnt or... One of the, at first there was like, obviously just like Stalin, I think Stalin destroyed 30,000 churches. And so a lot of the icons would have been in churches, like they wouldn't have mm -hmm. been. Uh, so that definitely took care of a lot of the, the, the art. And then the second move, which was smart, was to say, oh, this is all history. Like this is all historical art. Yeah. So let's like, let's like remove it from the churches and let's put it into nice pristine museums where we can look at them as artifacts of a, of a time gone by. Um, so that was a smart move, like in terms of pol politics, right? To turn it into uh, <laughs> yeah. to turn it into like a historical document. Um, and so then it was pretty much frowned upon. Like painting icons was very frowned upon, and it was something which you kind of had to do. Uh, you had to kind of do in sem semi secret, you know. Um, yeah. So 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 that's what I that's what that's what ended up happening. And and what do you think of? Um... 
Yeah, Gio thinks you're wrong. Thoughts to well, we'll get. I don't know if I think. I think me and Jonathan Paggi, we have probably more agreement than disagreement. Um, but <laughs> um, no, well, but I mean, Russian modernism is very fascinating, especially within the context of Orthodox icons. For example, um, when when Malvich came out with his famous black square in the gallery that yeah. like utterly horrified art critics, he put it right in the corner center of the room, which is, as you know, where I think. I forget which particular icons, but that's like the yeah. Well, it's level. it's it's called the bright corner. So every yeah. every house would have had in the in the eastern most eastern corner would have had their icons there, and that's when you know like when they would pray or if they would pray before meals or if they would pray in the evening or in the morning they would they would look towards they would stand in front of the icon sometimes with the lamp uh, or a hanging lamp or something. So obviously Malevich was all was definitely. Uh, aiming towards the the understanding that people had of of icons the same with kandinsky kandinsky yes, yes. definitely yep. had certain icon theories like theories of uh, symbolism that were also coming out in terms of uh in terms of um a lot of the imagery a lot of the uh, a lot of the symbolism uh around icons actually comes from early modern text like uh iconostasis by a father uh father what's his name pavel florensky it's not florensky it's the other one anyways that's horrible that i don't remember his name sorry uh uh so a lot of the a lot of the kind of symbolism and this 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 approach to to icons actually comes from uh early early modern priests that talked about yes. it so and the idea of inverse perspective comes from the early modern period as a reaction to the influx of um of so there is a discussion happening for sure and like i said i think that there's definitely in modernism there's definitely a a, a desire to go back and to use some of that imagery to break down the the current paradigm you know uh you see it in europe for sure like uh, european modernists are using older images to break down to like attack the current uh yeah. the current paradigm especially academicism that was rigidified in a lot of the academies um i mean the impression is saying no more but uh but what's interesting about malevich is that now the the sort of the feeling of color itself and the picture plane becomes this totalizing space of expression no longer is a representation but would you say that I can, I, um, and I want to read this uh, quote by my good friend, Matthew, who is also a brilliant artist. Would you say that the icons in some ways break or subvert or go beyond mere artistic representation as sort of like a similitude to the natural world, to the face, for instance? Okay, so this is the way that I, I see it, because there's a lot of discussion right now. I have to be careful what I say. Like right now, there's an intense discussion about the problem of icons and abstraction. And it's like a it's actually a pretty hot debate in the world of icon painting right now. So uh, one of the things that in the revival of the 20th century icon, for sure, the those who revive the icon specifically use kind of modern vision of art, which is this idea of abstraction, this idea of uh, reduction of the form in order to arrive to show spiritual qualities, you know, like you see, like the idea of Mondrian's ideas of, of like simplified, or, or a lot of the modernists had this idea of like simplifying reality so that you kind of see the, the spiritual, spiritual form behind it. Um, 
And uh, so definitely the revival of the icon was couched in that kind of language. Now, I would tend to want to couch it a little differently, also because we've had a lot of blowback from scholars who say no one ever talked about it before like that. Like no one ever talked yeah. about icons that yeah. way. On the contrary, they talked about the liveliness of icons and how they looked like they looked alive. This is how they described them. Um, and so my, my approach has mostly been to, to talk about the difference between like center and periphery, or let's say something like it's concentric and something which moves towards idiosyncrasy. And I think that icons, because of the canon in the uh, in the early church, which was that you weren't allowed to represent things which would which would awaken the passions in someone, mm -hmm. like that was the language of the fathers was to say you should represent scandalous things in church. You shouldn't represent things that would awaken the passions. And so you look at the change which happened, which they took Roman tropes, uh, they took contrapposto, they brought it in slightly so that it's not as excessive you know the the clothing became covering but uh the the tropes in the in the um even in the folds were, were still roman but they were made simpler and they were made more pointed you could say to avoid suggestion to avoid more kind of erotic uh erotic suggestion and i think that that's that's the way to see it is to understand it as ascetic it's like mm -hmm. orthodox icons are ascetic they they want you to they want you to focus on the, 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 the image, the face. Like they want you to focus on this encounter and not distract you by the seduction of, of, of the form, let's say. Of, the, of this uh, young lady over here, right? Because she has similar looking eyebrows and noses that I've noticed in the Eastern Orthodox style. But this would have been, I think this would have been an earlier work. This was from yeah. uh, mummies that they found. And so what you're saying is that this would be too hot and they had to lower down the... Uh... Well, this is, I think this is probably, except I, I would think that this is very similar to some of the things you would see in icons, you know, especially the early kind of icons. The Fayum, Fayum portraits were definitely an influence in terms of uh, the style and the way that, that things were painted. And so, you know, like I said, it, 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 it really was just, a, it, it was an organic thing. And then at some moments, it may be a little more luscious. And then at some moments, it can be more austere. The Russians tended to be even more austere than the, than the Greeks. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm. And so that, I think that's the way to understand it. But so in terms of understanding the encounter, it would have been something like, I think this is how I imagine it, is that the, the person who would look at an icon would actually see a living a person but that's because that's where life was placed in that world life was placed in the in the simple in the simplicity of the of the stare you know in the in the not the desire to seduce to impress to make you laugh to make you but rather in this kind of direct encounter and so that's why they would have seen in the icon which to us looks almost abstract they would have rather seen more liveliness uh because they didn't they didn't see the idiosyncrasy as being where life was. They saw this more heart approach, you know, a heart-centered approach to, 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 to art. I get what you mean. Um, like when I, a, a huge part when I was in grad school, um, a huge part when I took, um, when I was in, a, my thesis was basically the aesthetic philosophy of, uh, of China and, and Zen art. And a, my, a big influence on me was a sinologist by the name of Francois Julian. And he talked about how in literati painting, you have this intentional vagueness that opens up a sort of 
it negates a finitude to art itself. It sort of opens up an, a beyond or what Heidegger would call a sort of clearing of what is to come. It's, it's lively because it expresses that which isn't there. It's, it's a paradox. By taking away, you give life to the painting. You negate that sort of the idiosyncrasies of a specific expression. Yeah. And so, for instance, he has this one chapter in the book, The Great Image Has No Form, which is, of course, one of the verses from the Dada Ching. Um, he says it's a chapter called The Impossible Nude. There is no nude in Chinese art. I mean, later in China and Japan, with, yeah. you know, in old Jap Japanese the West, art, there was. Yes and no, that came much later. Yeah, it's very have, late. Yeah, yeah Kabuki theater, uh, Ukiyo printmaking. Um, but before that, they didn't conceive of it as an aesthetic, and it was impossible to show explicit nudity, whereas opposed to like Western paintings at the time, because eroticism was much different. It was something that is a suggestion to what is to come, rather than the full presence of a naked body, which is merely just titillation. Mm. So I get what you mean. It, the essence of something is in its act of revealing rather than its full presence. Whereas in a lot of like Western, specifically Mediterranean and certain forms of Scandinavian art, it is just like the full presence of the body. And yeah. that is, mm. you know, objective, right? So well, uh, could we also uh, build a bridge from the Egyptian hieroglyphics or the archaic Greek art where you could say people were more puppet-like and uh, according to people, let's say like Julian Jaynes who talked about there being the bicameral mind during the Bronze Age where people, uh, according to him, would have thought that the voice of God or gods were talking to them and were telling them to do something and the view there was that there was this um, uh, idea of people being more puppets than they were the actual participants. The gods moved the people, and it's pretty similar in a way to what you were talking about with Jordan Peterson in your last episode with him, talking about how uh, ideas have people rather than people having ideas. And uh, that brings me to something that I really wanted to uh, talk with you about. So I promise, Gio, this is not going to take long. I had uh, I had my first... Which means uh, it uh, will take long. No, it <laughs> won't. No, it won't. Everybody subscribe, by the way. So I think my first lucid dream, I was in the cabin, and then I saw a rabbi. And I am uh, half Jewish, by the way, from my mom's side. Well, I guess that means I'm fully Jewish. But anyway, I saw this rabbi, and he told me that there are two kinds of evil. One kind of evil is the one where you intentionally do something to hurt somebody, but the other kind of evil is pretty much stretching all the way to pretty much anything you end up doing at all, which would involve you getting something out of it. And I think the reason why I had that dream is because in the Kabbalah, they talk about how human beings receive and don't give. And the process through Kabbalah, and as I take it through various other mystical uh, traditions, is to transmute that egoistic desire to receive into the desire to give for the sake of giving. And after that, what I started thinking about and looking up all these various uh, pieces of art that people drew where it did look like they were puppets moved by the gods, uh, or you could look at more primitive art from uh, tribal societies, that there does seem to be a dream state that people are in 
within the closed circle of consciousness where all they know are the particular things that are around their world. They are moved by Mother Nature to act in a certain way. And another thing that I fear, by the way, is with artificial intelligence and robotization, it was also going to create a closed circle. But the reason why I'm saying this is I'm curious where you stand on the hierarchy of consciousness and whether you see there being a certain transformation people can go through where they start becoming much more aware and with the awareness of what exactly is going on around them it's a slightly different thing than maybe it's a really different thing than having people just as a group being used to certain traditions and doing it like uh in a, in a robotic way we are actually now conscious of certain things that are taking place as opposed to it being oh if i do this wrong thing i'm gonna get punished uh which i think uh was the mentality that uh, let's say the uh Russians had during the medieval time where they had somebody like Alexander Nevsky who was an underboss for the uh, Golden Horde and was burning down villages that didn't pay him yet they uh, made him a saint and they uh, prayed for the health of the uh, Khan and his family so to me like that kind of mindset is way more let's say uh, and I don't want to use the word roboticized I would use the word just like being like in a group state and do you think that there is something to whether individual or group oriented raising one's level of awareness and do you think this is kind of the journey that people may be on today with all the information that's out there um so there's a lot in what you you said obviously uh so the, i would say that the idea that there's a hierarchy in terms of consciousness it may be the, the you know the fathers never used the word consciousness but i'm i'm fine with it that's fine like that there's a hierarchy of of being you know, that you ascend a ladder. This is something which is there, you know, from it's, it's, it's been there forever. It's not, it's not at all something new. Um, and as you ascend the ladder, especially in Christianity, you do become free. Like you, you become free from your passions. You become free from all these little demons that are, that are uh, ruling over you, let's say. Uh, and you, you become free in a way you could say you could become free from the law. Uh, but not because you can then do whatever you feel like, but rather as you become free from your passions, you don't need the law. Like it becomes the law in your heart. Like it becomes the, the law that flows out from, from you. And so, so the way to understand it is that when you're down there at the bottom, like, and, and you're not much, then yeah, you need laws. Like you need people to tell you how to do things because, because then things go crazy. If, you know, it, it's like the, 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 Let's say the type of person that is very passionate, if they don't have, a, or even yourself, in the moments where you're very passionate, then a good rule will help you to kind of hold that line. Uh, and but it, but it's, but it's obviously supposed to be on a ladder towards transformation. And so, the people in Russia who were peasants and couldn't read and and you know would just kind of follow what the 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 church said and just kind of did what they were told. That's actually totally fine. Like that's fine. But you could also go to a monastery and you could go to the, to, you know, to the, to the, to the caves. And then you could learn to pray the Jesus prayer. And then you could be, go into ecstasy and be completely freed from your, your passion. So it was available to anybody who would, mm. was willing to kind of go down that line. And it was always there. Uh, but now in terms of the internet, I think that people are confusing opinion and information with transformation of, of, of being. That's not the same. It's like, you have the you have the angry 
woke or the angry red-pilled guy online who thinks he's got it covered and he's just typing away and arguing on Twitter. And, <laughs> and you know, and then, then he goes from that to porn and it's like, and, and to video games, it's like, okay, yeah. dude, seriously, man, that's not, that's not what it's about. Like, that's not what the transformation is. It's not just about having the right political opinion and, and being in the right political camp. Uh, and so if you, I think that I, I do believe that if you're transformed personally, if you get rid of your passions, if you learn a, dis, a, a, a prayer discipline, if you, you know, if you, if you do well, if you help others, all of that stuff is going to transform you. And then you will, I believe, have more balanced and more appropriate uh, vision of reality. I do believe that. Well, that, um, that's, um, well, yeah, it's like, it's almost similar, I would say to Vedanta where they say, um, you know, once you have achieved moksha, you no longer need the dharma. Not that you're going to go out and, you know, kill people and watch uh, internet porn, but it's more so that you've mm. gone. Well, if, if you do those things, though, that. I think you'd get punished uh, much more severely in terms yeah, well, of what lies ahead for you. But I want, but in terms of what Lev was saying about different art forms, for example, in the Amazon basin, you have the Ikros, which are songs from the ancestors and from the deities of for example quetzalcoatl and there's these very colorful abstract patterns uh that they paint and and there's certain other visionary painters that take incorporate them but I, my fear is that really people treat them like they do with icons as merely a quote-unquote aesthetic whereas they're really just spiritual practice for instance my good friend who's also another brilliant artist of uh mine i would consider a personal good friend of mine uh, Matthew in the chat, he said, letting artists indulge their idiosyncrasies within the dialectic of Western art in general allows you to reach more glorious highs, but more crushing lows. It is what it is. So what would you say? <laughs> and then he said, he's arguing about the Newton art. Um, for example, you wouldn't have a uh, Rodin or Klimt if the teacher had metaphorically smacked them on the back of the head and scrubbed their works. <laughs> uh, I guess. Do um, you think? Yeah. yeah okay. I mean, I, I, I get it. it. It's just that it depends. So you could. So maybe that's a good way of understanding it is that there is a possibility for things to be <clears throat> to be too high. We don't we, we the the incarnational model is different from this idea of, of elite, extremely smart, extremely intelligent, extremely, you know, uh, high aesthetic works that I don't think that that's helpful any more than I think that, you know, ads or really kind of basic, boring uh, use of visual imagery to, to induce your passions, you know, like a lingerie ad and, uh, some extremely esoteric work of contemporary art. I don't think, I think that those are actually just kind of mere reflections of each other. And mm -hmm. and like the the fact that that some that some like highfalutin uh, elitist can can look at the 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 high one and think that somehow they're better than everybody because you know they're they've been initiated into the mysteries. It's like that work of art is not doing anything for you. Like it's not making you a better person. I don't. I'm sorry. It's just not. I mean, it, it maybe really some are, but there's not. Yeah. Not at least not now. Like maybe there but, was some but, residue of that in the 19th century, maybe early 20th. But right now, seriously, like all the contemporary artists, is there anything? Like, is there? I anybody? would say, I I would say there's a few. Geo, that's who. <laughs> no, well, there's Jonathan Paggio, of course. I would uh, yes. say, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna balk at this. And by the way, shout out to my friend Paul Talk. I don't know if you know the YouTuber. He's also a uh, 
Baroque, not Baroque. Um, yeah, he's a Rococo painter. He loves the Rococo. Paul Rhodes. Uh, I love the France Rococo. Uh, but look up Paul you know, Talk, like seriously. Yeah, yeah. I would say, I know you're going to totally, you're going to do like, my God, you're going to be like, Gio is crazy. I would say that there's certain artists now, as much as I don't like a lot of the, the YBA, the young British artists, I think a lot of them are, you know, hacks. Um, I would say the closest that would come to that experience, in my opinion, would be Damien Hirst. Wow. Yes. I know, right? I would, I thought, like, the only guy that, the only modern, like, contemporary famous artist that I think had some value for me was, was Kiefer. Just because, oh, at oh least, yes, yes, yeah. Just at least, yes, he, yes. just at least, he was trying to deal with the problem of art yes. in a way that wasn't yes. just uh, in the bricklage of history. Yeah, it wasn't just like uh, just uh, looking over it. And you understand the problem, even of I mean, he's making money from it, but he 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 at least is trying yeah. to kind of wallow in the problem. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but why well, well, why Hearst? Well, here's a mandala. Well, I will go on nice about looking. Hearst. Um, by the way, I also want to shout out um if you could look up my good friend, Philip Daniel, he is a, uh, atonal. He, he loves atonal, um, like more contemporary classical music. He is a brilliant musician composer. Um, I would say Damien Hirst because his work, I, I wrote an article about this, which is, uh, I will release again someday. The website sort of been lost to history. Um, Damien Hirst, especially his more works that he's, you know, not the kitschy ones, the, butterflies or whatnot the perp the po polka dots i would say that some of his works are a powerful meditation on the nature of death and the nature of being towards death the nature of our situation being fixated upon the finality of it and so in a sense he is one of the very few contemporary artists that was was able to really put that more ancient primordial consciousness of the finality of being into a contemporary art context because in, in, in some ways, believe it or not, in my opinion, it's almost implicitly reactionary in the sense of his consciousness towards that, which is the unknown. And so I think to my, in my opinion, Damien Hirst is one of the few along with Anselm Kiefer to an extent with uh, Francis Bacon before that could really bring an awareness of us as hypermoderns to something which is very ancient, something which is very um, grounding in a sense. And despite the media flair and the sort of, you know, hideous repetitious, repetitious high kitsch of people like Warhol, the, even in Warhol, you have this consciousness of the modern condition being something that has in one sense disconnected us, like, sorry, in one sense, um, disassembled our relation to what we know as tradition and what we know as sort of an awareness of our mortality but in the sense through that pointing of our disconnect we can arrive at something very almost implicitly reactionary because warhol in the end of the day he's saying to us the mass object is that which not just enslaves us but that which informs our visual consciousness yeah and the infinite repeatability of it is in a way this um, inverted counter-initiatory bastardized iconography. For example, when his paintings of the celebrities, his, 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 his oh, I'm getting the words tied. Yeah. But, silk screens. Um, so yeah, yes, go but ahead. You're totally go right. I think you're um, totally, I think you're completely right. And I agree with what you said about Hearst. And I definitely agree with what you said about Warhol. Wow. Uh, wow. And I also agree. I think that it was all there in, in Marcel Duchamp 
right at the outset. Yes. Like it was all there right at the beginning. But the, the difficulty, this has become the difficulty is that what is, so again, like what is the purpose of art? Like what, why do we make these things? And so like, is it, is it only a literary, is it only like a literary reflection of the world in which we live or are we calling people towards more like is, is that the point and so well, well well jonathan real quick i just yeah. wanted to share this piece with you this is what i'm working on right now uh, one of my uh, latest nfts it's called muscles and so there's a lot of details in here that are going on and if you <laughs> ask me like why do i why do i make this craziness I think it's because I like to be playful. I like going into this realm where I grab a lot of these creatures out. And look, they don't mean no harm. Like, sure, there's like these fish with these sharp <laughs> teeth and they're doing some weird stuff. But still, it's like I think that there is an aspect of reality where we like to play around. We like to do ridiculous stuff. And it doesn't mean that we have malice. And it doesn't mean that you could say that we're trapped within a certain Maya, a certain illusion, a yeah. certain cycle. But at the same time, I wouldn't necessarily say that that would prevent us from doing good works towards others and uh so let's 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 look at your nft like let's look at it let's let's talk sure, about absolutely it. So absolutely so it's not done yet by the way so still, yeah imagine yourself in a in a medieval world okay <laughs> oh god wait like imagine yourself in a medieval world everything that's in that image existed pretty much yeah almost to a t and so Regal and uh, Bosch, all of yeah. the weird stuff, even before that, like in I'm talking Middle Ages. Bosch is not Middle Ages. Anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking like 12th century, 13th, 14th century in the, the in marginalia. That's where all the freaky stuff happened. So in yeah. a manuscript, you would have an image of of the mother of God or of Christ or something important in the center. And then on the edge of the image, you would have ornamentation. And in that ornamentation, you would have things that are so completely crazy and obscene sometimes and vulgar and scatological. All that stuff was all there. A right? lot of the woodcuts of those period yeah. as well. So yeah. if you imagine now this the, uh, a medieval church, you would have the same. You would have the altar in the center. You would have this sacred space and you would have this, this important image. And then if you looked outside, you looked in the corners, all the weird stuff would start to appear. So you look at the outside of the church, you would have gargoyles. In the details of the church, you would have uh, freaky, freaky kind of imagery. And so that type of stuff, like let's say this reflection of the idiosyncrasy of the world, it uh, it's there, it exists. It's like the, it's part of the world. You can't deny it. You don't want to deny it. The, it's always about where is it? Like what place does it have? And so the, you could say that today, the art of today, it's basically the gargoyles of, of a huge, huge story. We're basically at the end of a world. And now we're yeah. manifesting all the monsters. Like they're all kind of coming out. And we, we, you know, we're all obsessed with hybrids and we're all obsessed with monsters and we're all obsessed with all this stuff that is on the edge of the story. And so it's, it's, so it's normal, but it's also, it's also helping us to understand where we are like in the world, we're on the edge, we're standing next, we're, you know, we're at the edge of the world near the ocean where all the monsters are. That's where we are. That's where the- well, Have you uh, looked into a lot of, um, I know a lot of it's like totally academies, but have you looked into, for example, post-humanist studies, uh, object-oriented people uh, that talk about the, our relation to um, hybridity and, and uh, uh, what, what do they call it? The, um, the limbs, what do they call that? 
um, prosthetics, prosthesis, yeah, prosthesis, <laughs> and our relation to the critical, the critical animal, and all of these things that sort of distort the picture of the human. But what you're saying is that in the consciousness, in a religious consciousness, but also in the consciousness of Christianity in particular, the sort of essential view of the human being within the image of God, that all of this stuff complicates it. And that in a time of sort of great calamity and chaos, now we're going to have academics that talk about how uh, like Donna Haraway talking to her dog, you know, it's sort of like, or the cyborg. Mean, you're, the cyborg but you're, you're right. Cyborg. So the idea yeah. of a cyborg is really important. It's part right. of the development of, so th there's a story like in scripture, you have a, a little cosmos that happens and it starts with creation and it ends with the flood. And if you want to understand how a world happens, you can really just study what, what's there. And in the, 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 in the descendants of Cain, you find all this development of technology. And also in like the traditions, like in the Enoch traditions, that also includes uh, seduction. Tubal, Tubal and it Cain. includes making hybrids. It includes a chimera. All of this yeah. stuff happens in the development of, a, of, this, of this technology as you're moving towards dissolution, basically. Atlantis. So, so you you come to the end, and then here comes the flood. So, so so Gio's right. Like the fact that we're obsessed with 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 hybridity, with the question of the how technology enters into our consciousness, like or let's say how technology becomes an uh, an extension of our consciousness. This is showing us the situation. Like it's showing us where we are. Like the last video, the last video, one of the last videos I did. Uh, is on that. I talk about the mark of Cain, but in that video, I talk about the question of technology and how mm -hmm. the problem of, of how what technology is and the difficulty that it poses. And especially if we're fascinated by technology and fascinated by exteriority, then we go into these tropes that that are inevitable and lead towards where we are now lead towards gender mm. confusion, leads it's towards identity confusion, leads toward well, it, uh, all of this it, weird it, stuff. It also reminds me if, uh, are you familiar with Jason Giorgiani by any chance? Okay, so uh, Jason Giorgiani talks about Prometheus, and he had a whole book about it named uh, Prometheus and Atlas. His, uh, his conclusion was that, let's say we have the archetype of somebody like uh, Jesus Christ, for instance, somebody who sacrificed uh, his life for the sake of everybody else. Giorgiani sees a similar archetype within Prometheus, who stole the fire of the gods, gave the fire to the human beings, and he sees Prometheus, even the name Prometheus, according to him, and I have to look this up just to make sure, but I'm pretty sure that it means forethought. It means to be able to see ahead. And what he sees in the archetype of Prometheus, as well as Atlas, is this mapping out of the world that we are in, in a way having more of this uh, consciousness as opposed to being more in a puppet-like state, like I was referring to before. And with that, though, the interesting thing to me is you would get to more responsibility where all of a sudden you may suffer a lot more and you may pay the ultimate price for doing things that may be heretical to a certain kind of uh, certain kind of order but the other interesting thing there is that the fire of the gods to me it's never really been about oh humans have this fire now they can cook and because they can cook you know their brain starts developing differently maybe it's that too but for me the significance of fire of the gods has a lot more to do with something like kundalini shakti for instance this primal energy that's referred to as vril that's 
refer to uh, to as um, uh, chi. chi. Yeah, exactly. The idea being is that you go down in and the energy is located in the uh, base, the uh, root chakra, well, and well, you're supposed to transmute that sexual energy to go up. And as it goes up, and again, this is something that I've experienced in myself as well, as the energy goes up, all of a sudden, the things that occupy yourself start changing as well. And it doesn't mean that that would substitute doing good works by any means, but I do see it in a way as having more realization and continuing on this as above so below idea of you know the breathing in and out of the universe jesus descending into sheol and then coming back up just these patterns that we keep seeing over and over again so i'm curious what your thoughts are regarding that okay so i would say at first I, my first reaction is that there's 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 some there's a little bit of confusion i would say in terms of okay so the idea of comparing Jesus to Prometheus is, is, is very, is disturbing, very disturbing to me. Because well, Georgiani is a very negative opinion on Christianity, but yeah, I imagine. Yeah. Uh, so you can understand it this way is that if your attention is focused up, right, then all the things below serve that which is above. But if you're, if your attention is focused down, then you want to exercise power and then the then these things that are down there become tools to exercise power over what's below you okay so that's the difference now so the idea is that everything in the hierarchy is good all the tools are good it's all about attention and so a, a good example adam and eve they're standing in front of the tree it says god says don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil adam says i want this fruit for myself takes it eats it that's bad. Fall, go down, tumble down into, into chaos, into death. Solomon, standing in front of God. God says, what do you want? Solomon says, I want the knowledge of good and evil. God says, yes, here you go. You have the knowledge of good and evil. And now you can make the temple. So same story, two different things, two different Two different. He, uh, Solomon did end up suffering uh, towards the end, at least from certain. Yeah, that's because he, he did correctly. end up go too far in the down. Like he took yeah. the down too far. But the idea is that there is a difference. Like one is seen as a good, and the other is seen as a problem. And it's the same with all this this whole problem of technology, which is that one of the difficult. So the idea is that the fire from the gods would have it wasn't supposed to be stolen. If you steal the fire from the gods then you will apply it to making yourself more powerful. You'll apply it to protecting yourself. You'll apply it to, to, to submitting others. You'll apply it to, to subjugating the people around you. And that's the thing with the knowledge of good and evil. If you, if you instrumentalize it, then you'll use it to, 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 to control others. But the image of technology is, is, is neither good nor bad. It has a double image, right? One image is the city of Cain, which is Cain killing his brother, like, like Romulus, and tumbling down, building these walls to protect himself, you know, and, and kind of exteriorizing the other and all of this kind of stuff. And then the other image is the temple, which is the layers of the divine manifesting themselves in different layers of reality until the edge of the world. Well, so well, you have on the one hand, the, the city of Cain, and then you have the new Jerusalem at the end of time. Both of them are images of technology, but one is, comes from above yeah. and one is like, I want to control others. I'm going to take these for myself. 
And it's very well, different. There, there, is, there is a slight middle ground, though, if I may. I just want to illustrate it. And again, I'm not fully attached to this being indeed the case. <laughs> but if we are, for example, I know, Gio, I know. If we are, for example, talking about there being different hierarchies of consciousness where we're surrounded by planets, galaxies, all this kind of stuff here, where at least to me, I am doubtful that the only experience of this great transformation that, let's say, would be displayed in the uh, uh, sacrifice that Jesus Christ made would be limited to specifically this one spot in this one time, regardless of all the other planets and galaxies that are around. Be that as it may, my own leaning on certain things is that when it comes to these archetypes that Jung talked about, people end up being representatives of those archetypes where you would have somebody who would be representative of Apollo, somebody who would be representative of uh, Prometheus. And it doesn't mean that they are specifically those people. But to me, the big problem that I have with organized religion in general, and I would be very interested in your response to this, is if we are looking at those two ways that you talked about before, either becoming a monk, becoming solo, or being with a group of people and being more obedient to your uppers, to, to the people that are above you, in this case it would be the clergy in Russia, let's say, my great-great-grandmother, uh, I'm not sure w w how many greats there are in there, but however many there are, she was saved by her uh, neighbor, you know, who she got along really well with from the pogroms that were going on in the Pale of Settlement during that time in Russia. The pogroms themselves were instituted and carried out by the church authorities. In that sense, the people who are supposed to have the biggest responsibility to instill the message of Jesus Christ end up using it in the most perverse, animalistic way and this would also harken back to, let's say, the idea that Johnny believes in, which, again, I'm going to be agnostic when well, it comes well, to this. But, well, 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 he believes that... technology that, that Christianity would suppress some, like, great innovation well, not, not even that, man. That's like part of it, but also, that's part of it, but also it would be that certain people that we talk about in history uh, who would inhabit these archetypes, there would be, let's say, a Zeus archetype, for instance, somebody who assuming and i'm g really going on the limb here fella so just bear with me assuming that there are more things in our history of humanity uh that we are not aware of as far as who we are where we came from i mean i all, i think that we are all made in the image of god but regardless of that that i would say is like the center of the mandala but when you go out from the mandala as far as various historical semi-legendary figures that are talked about for all i know there may have been people who had a huge degree of power that influenced that power who we called gods and there may have been somebody who did not want the people who are below them to just be a bunch of uh, uh sheep that are going to be uh just kowtowing down to them but wanted to raise their level of awareness and you could say that that's a very dangerous thing to do but this is kind of where i am right now so i am curious where the balance would lie for you on the raising of this awareness uh, so that people aren't just going to take the order of the priest to kill all the Jews because they killed Jesus and yeah. uh, get them to a higher level. Yeah, I don't know. I, I have to admit, I didn't know that the, that the if the programs were officially, uh, let's say, promulgated by the church itself or they if, were. It was, if it was like rogue... Rogue no, it was not it. rogue. It was yeah. absolutely instrumentalized by the church. Well, well, anyways, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, it's it's possible, and that would that would definitely be a, that would definitely be an evil that the church has done. The church has obviously done evil things. Um, I mean, these things. How can I say this? It's like the, the idea that there's a normal hierarchy in the world doesn't mean that there won't be bad things that are going to happen to people, you know. Right. And and it, it's going to happen. There's there's going to be moments where things kind of get out of whack, uh, and you know, the image, for, like, I would say that for me, like the image of Constantinople in its glory is, let's say, like the best image of this, like this, this image where everybody went to school, where there was this, there was education, there was all of this, you know, uh, it wasn't, you know, the the completely ignorant peasant and, you know, the, the clergy that almost was semi-ignorant themselves, you know, there really was a, a, remembering of ancient education a remembering of the ancient world but also this kind of transformation of it into into uh into the life of christ and so that would be the ideal but you know it's going to go off it's obviously going to go off the rails sometimes and so there are moments where that definitely that definitely happened and so it's it's good to look at those moments and to say that's not good and we have a way to do it like we have the words of christ and we have the the deeper tradition of of the church to help us see when the tradition goes off the rails and we have something to anchor ourselves in and to say, well, that's not good. Like the church went off the rails there. Uh, and, and the difficulty you- that if you don't have the tradition, you don't have the hierarchy, then you, at some point, you don't even have a way to say what, what the good is. You can't even criticize the tradition because where are you standing? Like in what, what is on what ground are you standing to then say, that those people did something, those, those well, people did something I, wrong. I think a higher awareness has a lot to do with it. If you cultivate a sense of wisdom in people, as opposed to just keeping them in a particular program, my hope is that that would be something that mixed together with this understanding that there are things above us that we have to strive to, that we in our current state are not fully, you know, the well, same Rob, as also, the God or the saints. But and that balance like the... could be good. It's also the question of value in general. What do we value as people of faith? I mean, the, the criticism, I mean, specifically that Georgiani has, I mean, I'm, I'm butchering it, but he has like kind of a weird like Nietzschean, almost like you would say Gnostic um, criticism of Christianity being like, quote unquote, holding back um, the glorious like Promethean overman uh, techno, techno innovation that we could arrive to almost like a weird form of like right-wing transhumanism in some ways what would you say as a christian to say like specifically uh, and i have a lot of friends who are this but like the pagan vitalists that say that you know christianity was um the great like end of like the descent of the west into like quote-unquote slave morality it's just it's just hilarious it's hilarious that someone thinks that because mm. even those great northern people that you admire, they reached their glory in the 12th century, not in the 7th century, not well, in the 8th for, century. Except, except for the Germans, though, because the Germans, they used to have these ritual bathing practices, you know, when they were nude. But afterwards, they had the clothes on and they got all stinky and they were stinky for a very long amount of time. And that's no good either. So I'm talking about know- like a glorious, a glorious, like overflowing of of energy and civilization. It's like. The, the the Germans came to Rome. They took they took Rome, and then they became the the you know they became the last emperors, I guess you could call them. And then the Normans came down. They became the kings of England. They became the kings of Sicily. They came down and became the kings of Russia. It's like 
that energy was not a pagan energy. I'm sorry to tell you. It's like before that, there were just a bunch of people drinking beer in their whatever up there. We don't know what's going on up there. I mean, it's like, I'm not saying they had nothing, but even the, even the traditions that we have of them was written by Christians. We don't know what those Northern people believed before the Christians because they didn't write it down. And so it's like, even the stories of the gods that we have are written by Christians. Yeah. And so it's like, yep. let's not pretend that we know, like we have this idea. <laughs> and so to me, it's like, it's such a, it's such a idiosyncrasy to think that, that somehow this like pagan world that you're imagining that you have no access to, that you're completely making up that somehow that this pagan world ha- was the thing that you want. Whereas well, certainly- in, in the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. there is a room for this, like the nightly, uh, the nightly strength, the, the, the vitality is there in both in the Byzantine tradition and in the, the Western tradition, but it is tempered to a certain extent. So you don't go like chopping heads off and raping children and you don't, you don't yeah, do the my, kind of damage yeah. that, that, and yeah, they still did despite their Christianity, but with, imagine without the temperance of Christ, what they would have done. Like they, were, they were still going out and but we're not doing that things. today but we're not doing that today despite because we're the, still uh, surfing we're still surfing the we're still surfing the christian wave remember what happened the last yeah. time people wanted to go back to the neo-pagan thing like we came pretty close to something again like we came pretty close to something similar to that old world where it's like oh those people they're not human let's just get rid of them it's very simple well, no, I, well we right? ask because I, yeah. on btr we we have a lot of discussions about esoteric uh like various like indo-aryan european race theories and all that stuff and uh uh, so we had but i just want to say something about the vitalist thing okay i I think it's really important to understand what christianity offers and which people didn't for some reason they can't see it's that there's something of a lie in the vitalist position because you're gonna get old dude you're gonna stop wanting to have sex all the time you're gonna die it's going to happen. And so you have to integrate that into your story. It has to be part of the story. And the problem with the vitalist, uh, the vitalist, uh, let's say, mentality is that it has no room for an aspect of reality, which is the descent into weakness. Whereas <laughs> what the story of Christ has is the capacity to enter into death willfully, to enter into those, you will become weak. You're the, even if it's only for a few seconds in that last moment when you're shitting yourself on your bed, you're going to become weak. And so you need a way to integrate that. Like you need a way for it not to just be a scandal that you, that you have to go through to, in order to finish like in the dump of, of, of reality. And so what Christianity offers is a way to enter into suffering deliberately and to do it even into weakness and to say, this is part of the story. And I will take on my cross, I will accept to die to myself so that so that weakness can become something more than what it is. Uh, and so I, I just get annoyed sometimes when people in their 20s think that it's like, this is what I, this is it. Okay, that's fine, that's dude. Esoteric right-wing bodybuilders. But you know what's coming. It's like, it's yes. coming to you. It's going to happen. Then you can be that guy in your 50s who pretends he's still 20, but that's just embarrassing. 
It's well, embarrassing. John, I, those I, I completely guys. agree. I couldn't agree more. And in fact, I would say one more it thing regarding me. that. Well, hold, hold on, Jay, yeah, real quick. Yeah. I would say one more thing regarding that, that I believe that the Russians, including the priests who are commanding like the uh, all of these uh, horrible things to the Jews uh, back, back in the day, that they were inhabiting this similar like vitalistic bloodlust tendency which we then saw within the nazis the only let's say uh solution that i have here uh let's say as uh, something that could possibly uh change things around would be the cultivation of wisdom that would also be and you could say well they had a cultivation of wisdom back during the byzantine era maybe i'm not saying that they didn't my only thing here though is that it did not seem to be enough back during that time to prevent a lot of these horrible things I think that we should leave room for that, where yeah, maybe we can raise in that. General back then, I agree. Like, I no, mean, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I know. But th th this is my problem with people. And by the way, we will discuss a certain bread tuber who went after you recently, Mr. Padu. Um, I, I don't have. I, I've got like ten minutes left. I gotta go. I oh, like oh, ten minutes. I'm okay. sorry. So if you want to talk about that, let's do that now. Um. Well, you go know what? It. You know what? Screw that guy. He's a total <laughs> ghoul. I want to get your take. Um. So <laughs> two things okay um yeah the vitalist thing uh uh i wanted to talk to you about um the, it reminds me when you're talking about suffering it reminds me of this one passage from uh it was part of the collective articles of uh clement greenberg um in my opinion one of the only decent art critics that came out of that post-war period along with robert hughes but he had this one quote about one of my favorite painters uh the catholic uh, mystic painter uh georges ruo uh, he said like, oh, that's really just a pantomime of suffering. It's like this like long groveling, like uh, it's display. It's almost, it's almost like to, to Greenberg, like in high modernism, it's like this addressing of suffering is like almost um, like a, a hideous sort of like theatrical play. But there was something very deep and very profound about it. Um, what, what, do, what is your opinion though um, on the nature of suffering within art uh, how we can arrive at sort of a, a resacralization through the work of art, but also what is your opinion on painters that purport to sort of resacralize the the art object itself? For example, um, someone mentioned Biskinski in the chat. He's like the the darker side of it. But what what do you think of like visionary art, quote unquote, people like Alex Gray? people that take drugs and then paint uh, Robert Venosa. Uh, what, yeah, what do you man. think of these like psychi uh, like post psychedelic people that they're, they're, they're incredibly skilled yeah. to the level of like, for example, the, the guy who taught them all was Ernst Fuchs. He like sort of revived the Mish technique and the level of skill it to even like, I mean, as much as people, you know, I admit that Alex Gray can be quite repetitive, but there's still like the level of detail and skill. I mean, the guy wrote medical uh, drafts for Harvard, right? So what is your opinion on visionary art? And, and how do you, like, do you disagree with them? Do you think that your approach to like a spiritual art form in the modern world is different from like someone that takes DMT in the Amazon? Yeah. And then, you know, well, for sure. I think it's different. I, I would say, let me, let me phrase it at a very high level. It's that the question is before the technique. The question is before the object. It, the question is in the very reason and the very place that the object takes in the world. And so it's like, we talk about sacralization. Sacralization is not something that happens on your own. You can't just decide that something is sacred. You can't just say, well, I'm trying to resacralize things. That does, that's not how it works. The sacred is something which is, is part of, of, of a community. It has to 
commune to, we have to commune together. There's a, there's a whole manner in which something is recognized as being a vehicle for grace, as being a vehicle for, for something above you. And so it's like, in the very fact that the objects I make are for the church, already, it's like, it's just a whole other world. It's like a completely different world. I don't make, I don't make objects for, uh, I don't make objects for people to put up on their wall to just look at or to buy or to speculate on or to criticize or to think about. It's like, I make objects for people to kiss and to venerate and to sprinkle holy water on and to process in the church. Like that's a very different reality than, than, than modern art in general, like just modern art in general. And so the visionary art, it's like, I don't, I'm, I think it's fine. Like whatever, like people can do what, what they want to do. Uh, but it's just, it's a completely different discussion because it's, it's, there's something disincarnated about all of gallery art. You know, there's right. something there, all the entire movement of gallery art has a disincarnated aspect to it. So they're just standalone objects that are not they're they're maybe they're related to the canon of art, but in terms of the way that these icons like what you're doing is is integrated within that tradition, literally within the building. I mean, you're right, there there's something dead about it. Even Heidegger said this, you know, when it goes into a gallery, it's disconnected from its world. Mm. And Oh, and Jonathan, well, well, real, real quick, we got to do yeah. super chats. Before I go for the super chats. Marina yes. Abramovic, but we have to do super chats. Here so. we go. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. Happy I avoided that one. You yeah. have to. Well, we're gonna listen. You have. You to can invite again. me another time. I just need to go at four thirty. Yes. Yeah. No problem. Because time. this has been one of the fat most, the best discussions we've had in Absolutely. a long time. So. And uh, I would love to have you with Uber Boyo next time if you're interested. Uber Boyo is great. I don't know if you ever heard of him. I don't. I don't know who that is. But I mean, I'll talk to you guys again. Yes. So here we go. M donated DKK 50 through super chat. What is symbolism of irony? Ironic Satanism FX. Not really understanding. And okay. Nathan Woods donated $5. Well, what were the benefits of anonymity for the artists of the past? And even hmm. reasons for a return to more anonymous artistic ventures today. Yeah. I would say that the anonymity was never is more, we, invented a little bit today it wasn't the works were never completely anonymous but they were now also not focusing on the artist and so it was more like the artist was making the it's like it's it, it's similar to like why would you write your name on a chair if you make a chair like i mean it's not anonymous like if you ask who made the chair people will know but like why would you write your name on a chair the purpose for people to sit on it and so like why would you write your name on your piece of art like the purpose of the art is for it to be an image of Jesus or an image of Mary. And so it's all about like what the center is. And so like Michelangelo chipping his name, you know, into the, into the, the Madonna, it's like, that's a whole change, which is this, it's about the artist and about the artist's ego and the artist. Uh, so, so I would say that you don't need the work to be anonymous, but I would say there's a, there's a, let's say a, a receding of the artist, I think would be helpful. And so I never, wow. I yes. like, I don't sign my works of art. Like sometimes like there are a few things that I'll sign like a print, for example, if people order prints for me uh, once a year, I'll sign it. It's not a big deal, but most of my art doesn't have my name on it because that's not the point. Wow. Excellent. And I feel embarrassed. Oh. I sign everything. Of <laughs> Holy crap. <laughs> All right. M donated DKK $50. Are Lucifer really that wrong when you think about it? All right, we're not going to go on oh, that right now. that's too Ale long of a discussion. Alex Basham, $20 through Super Chat. Woo! Wow, Love you. your work, Jonathan, plus your brother's book. Thanks for coming on BTR. Return guest, maybe. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Sure, your I mean, I, it, was, it was a fun discussion. Yeah, my brother wrote a book called The Language of Creation, 
which is really kind of a distillation of symbolism of, uh, of Genesis and uh, the rest of the Bible. It's amazing. It's like a, it's the best book on symbolism out there, really. Wow, Excellent. love if you could find it and link it. I think I may have heard of that. I've come across. Well, it. I'm gonna I'm gonna link it, but the super wow. chat is not available right now. No, I mean the uh, chat. I'm using a different window for the chat. Yeah, I okay. noticed the one that you're seeing has frozen, but I am gonna link to everything. What did you say the title of the book was? It's I'm called the language of creation. Symbolism language of creation. Yeah. I'm gonna put it in the chat, and guys, please buy this book. And uh, what is your uh, brother's name? It's Mathieu Pajot, so like Matthew, but in French. You can just write Peugeot, language of creation. It'll it'll show. There won't be two. And and so there we, we go. Will, uh, Amazon so link. What is the best way to find you uh, besides Twitter and YouTube? Uh, how can people purchase your work, for instance? Just your well, website? yeah. Right now, I'm not. It's, it's not like you can buy. I'm selling prints now because I, I have a two year waiting list for my icons, oh, yeah. and so it's like I, that's kind of stop for now. I actually stopped taking commissions because I I need to figure some stuff out, but. Uh, like people can buy prints on fine art America. I, I have a page there where some of my prints are available. Um, and, uh, but for icons, for sure, for now, at least if people like on Patreon, I, people can donate a certain amount and I'm working with my assistant to create ornamental, uh, carvings for, to improve icon carving, let's say. And so those, those come available like once a, a few times a year. Um, but, but you can find like, in terms of symbolism, you can find my work on the symbolic world then that's where kind of everything gets concentrated. And for my carving, it's pejocarvings.com. And do you take on students regularly? Or? I'm doing, like, I, I used to do these week-long workshop type things, uh, but now with COVID, I didn't. So I have a uh, online carving class that people can can take. I tried to make it very reasonable. It's like 30 hours, really, of, like, I take you through every single detail. Wow. Uh, and so if it's on uh, Thinkific. I think Jonathan Pedro Thinkific, if you're interested in that, to learn to carve icons in wood. Yeah, I've heard good stuff about it because I really, it's like, I, I really take everybody, even beginners can take this class. So how, how do you say that word? Thinkific? Think It's called Thinkific, I think the website. Like, I, I don't even know the website I'm using here. Here we go. I found it. I yeah. am looking at in the chat right now for all of you wonderful people who have subscribed and who have uh, contributed <laughs> to take a look at. Jonathan, you are wonderful. I think this is one of this my favorite amazing. chats we've had. Well, we so. have to do this again. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. It was fun. I really, I really enjoyed it. So all the best to everybody. And thank uh, you so much, John. All right. See you soon. God bless. See bye you bye. soon. And we're not going to be done yet. Now we're going to shell our Patreon. So patreon.com slash break the rules. I am shelling it, but I want to figure out a way to do it properly here with this window because for some reason, Restream just... Uh, it's yeah. a server network timeout. But either way... You I mean, mean Restream this... to, uh, to where? Restream like... to... I don't know. The chat does not seem to work. I'm trying to log in here and uh, nothing's happening. Oh, hold on. Mountains or hills? It's giving me the opinion of mountains or hills. Let me see. That's a bad one. I'm going to do another one. Crosswalks. That's easy. Here we go. See, the reason why I have to do this, ladies and gentlemen, is because I'm using... Here we go. It's finally working now. Here we go. So... I am finally going to close this window up. We have the chat going, but I don't think it's synced up. Everybody subscribe, by the way. All the 90 people who are watching this right now, why the heavens have you not subscribed to Break the Rules yet? If you have not ch yeah. checked out our channel but, yet, you must. Yeah, you it's must. too bad. I wanted to talk to him a bit about how people um, in the contemporary art world are trying to like LARP some form of ritual. Abramovic comes to mind, obviously. Um, also, I mean, Matthew Barney is another example of someone who has a weird sort of like mythology without a mythology. It's very surreal. It's very abstract. 
um, his uh, Cremester cycle videos, but I, but also just in general, how um, uh, there, there's a certain someone, I'm not going to name him because he's honestly not worth anyone's time. This bread tuber that went after Jonathan's video on the little Nos. Uh, and Jonathan was saying some stuff that we, we had a stream uh, where we talk about the little Nos uh, music video uh, and apparently Jonathan Padgett is a fascist and uh, hates people. And uh, wait, how could he be a fascist? All these how, talking points. And how could it be a fascist if his surname is Padgett? Yeah, well, get it, Padgett. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. yeah, so there, um, well, I mean, something different French. But um, no, I, I, I think like uh, how it's really funny. Um, just the the time that changed between, I would say, the early YouTube new atheist people and nowadays how these sort of reintroducing uh these atheist like new atheist talking points to go after jonathan paju and it's really it only works for that audience but in general uh it seems that people are fed up now finally with that form of like just baby brain anti-religious discourse uh, and it's really fascinating to see uh, bread tubers recapitulate to their atheist uh, fedora tipping roots to go after people like uh, Jonathan and Jordan Peterson. And I have my own criticisms of Jordan Peterson, but I find it hilarious how this certain person was just uh, doing all of this thing. Like there's this one moment where he's like, uh, Oh, sorry, not here. I don't want to misgender him because apparently if you're a straight white male in bread tube, you have to find some exotic thing like being uh non-binary or something but this person said like you know they weren't real witches right like uh, they weren't actual witches it's just it's such a stupid uh like baby brain fedora tipping type of stuff it's just it's it's really like um i think like what, what jonathan and what others are doing i mean to confront the reality that even through and again this is like what the super chat was saying about irony and satanism even through the act of like ironic like levee satanism i mean that's sort of like a kitschy pastiche of the 80s era but even nowadays this sort of like ironic um like tiktok witch uh zoomer uh satanism stuff or like uh, all of this like adopting a cult uh, like like giving like a woke political inversion to like you know obscure african tribal beliefs which some blm people were doing it's like to me that just shows that the era of like hardcore rationalist materialism and fedora tipping is over uh re-enchantment in a postmodern sense is here to stay and w whether we're going to go back to the faith that delivers us to a a, a sort of a, well, a union is a bad word, but sort of a, a, a capitulation, a a instantiation of the light of God, a hypostasing of the light of uh, of the Lord, or whether we're going to go to very like politically mediated forms of mysticism that really is just Gnostic at the end of the day. I mean, this particular bread tube is big into the. Uh, trans issue and and really we all know that uh the way that they describe their own identity is just like some form of like bastardized political uh, political secular gnosticism it's really hilarious how even the fedora tippers themselves can't help themselves from 
you know, going towards some like weird, crazy. It's like Eric Vogelin, he was right. It's all just Gnosticism at the end of the day. It's hilarious. It's trying to break through to the real self. And Jonathan Paju is an evil fascist because he doesn't want to let people break through to the real self. It's like, it's hilarious. It's, it's ridiculous. But, but I never, but I never understood why they would consider that to be Gnosticism where it's not like they're getting well they don't realize what it is i mean no their deeper wisdom is entirely corporeal it's entirely just a expression of their own hedonistic identity and and sense Mm -hmm. of self that has but then but then how is that crushed by the weight of politics but then how is that narcissism well it's it's a secularized version of it because sure you believe that the true self can only come about through a great amenitizing of the eschaton which was what Vogelin said. So the eschaton is like, you know, um, glorious automated luxury transcommunism or whatever. And it's like through that, we can arrive at a quote unquote equal just just society if we, you know, get rid of, uh, if we glass all of the fundies like Jonathan Paju and myself and uh, we deliver ourselves to this glorious future where, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say no more before YouTube bans yeah. us. But well, anyways, Gio, uh, let's do the show. You put you put the fun in fundies, just so you know. Yeah, even that term fundy, I mean, to say the term fundy unironically in the year of our Lord 2021 is like, what are you doing? Like, if you go yeah. to YouTube, go to those old atheist YouTubers, go to fake Sagan, go to Coughlin666, go to even the amazing, the fucking amazing atheist. Like, Go to them. It's like literally watching a time capsule, and and it's it's hilarious. It's amazing. But anyways, let's but, do by the way, two. shout out shout out to Glow in the Dark because he has the avatar of Alexander Pushkin. Oh, very nice. Uh, I think it was, it was Pushkin's birthday a couple of days ago, actually. So TikTok uh, which larping, yeah. Um, vitalist versus Christian trads is the reverse debate. Oh, we try to have Christianity versus paganism. That didn't. That <laughs> Please don't remind me. The, of the that first one, half yeah. of the debate was good. Young yeah, talked about. So yeah. Buff says Young talked about people in his day becoming Hindu or, or uh, astrom- astronomers out of exoticism. It's very true. I mean, unfortunately, a lot of perennialists, um, like they they embraced uh, Sufism. They embraced like weird forms of Vedanta, which were more intellectualized than anything else. But I think that that desire isn't inherently bad. I I just think that you have to reconcile the traditions of your own people Mm. in order to do that. But anyways, yeah, we have to go because I think we go on too long. We're sort of robbing people because it is a sewing discourse. And and Paj, you had to to leave earlier. So uh, take us away with the, the, the chilling love. All right. Well, speaking of fundies, the only fundy that I care about and respect is the fundy who funds Break the Rules. And how do you fund Break the Rules? Number one, by sending those beautiful super chats, which I appreciate, of course, and also by becoming a patron. Here is definitely legit. For those who do not know what Definitely Legit is, it is a beautiful collie dog. Look at the design on this beautiful collie dog over here. And this can be yours for $20 when you become a patron of Break the Rules. Yeah, Love's but besides, father carves them by hand. Yeah, so speaking the $20 of carving, tier. 
Yeah. Well, he has we other have... designs too, but this is our, we're running well. Definitely Jit is a friend of ours on Twitter who's been on BTR quite a bit. Not his, his uh, avatar. Yeah, and you've probably seen dog. the Kali dog pop, popping up on the screen whenever we get a new subscriber. That is definitely legit. And this is definitely legit made of wood. So for $5 patrons, you are going to get access to our Discord. Not, not like the secret parts of the Discord. You could still get access to the regular Discord. And you get access to special episodes patreon only geo the last one we did we were talking about berserk and you're reading berserk still right how, how yeah. do you like it it's pretty good i'm almost to the part where uh something something happens something casca something something griffith um i'm not okay. gonna it's terrible <laughs> yes um but yes, our next is. uh exclusive patreon only episode we're gonna have a fun one we're gonna talk about um well, actually, no. I think we're going to talk about the bug breaking thing soon, and maybe no. We're going to talk about the bug breaking on the left stream art stream. So that is going to be Sunday at two o'clock, guys. Real quick, because I do not show my own YouTube channel enough. What I'm going to do is I'm going to post my YouTube channel and, here as well. And we've just and, had another super chat. I've been bowing twenty dollars. Oh my god, Ivan! Thank you. Wow, Ivan. Geo, do you know who Ivan is? Iwan, Ivan is one of the great animators who worked with me on Only Love and Fantastic wow. Plastic. He oh, is he is an OG. I've known Ivan for years and years wow. and years, and I am incredibly grateful for that brother. And I hope to work with you real soon. I want to get right back into animation yeah, as believe... soon as Break the Rules but kicks the one, off. The one thing that does piss me off, Lev, is that uh, the 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 YouTube super chats they put this humans of flat design. With the yeah. heart emoji. Oh my god, terrible. Oh, uh, YouTube. YouTube is infested with humans of flat design. Yeah, what are um, you gonna do? Oh, by the way, humans of flat design, that is something that we could talk about next time with Jonathan Paju. We had this excellent stream a while back with my good friend Eli Schiff. Uh the uh humans of flat. If you look up BTR uh break the rules, humans of flat design, it is one of the again, um every time we talk about art in the modern world. I think is I truly think that uh, it's some of the best content we've ever done. I mean, Absolutely. besides the drama and all the bullshit, but like, um, well, here yeah. it is. Here's here's the link to that stream. I got to go back and forth between Chad and the and the uh, screen yeah. here. But so Eli at the twenty dollar, yeah. you'll get the magnet, and it repeats every year. So Lev's father will make new ones that you could get yearly if you keep up your uh, patron. At thirty dollars, you will get a print by me, uh, from either one of five. From the that feel one no GF woodblock printmaking uh, print mm -hmm. series, uh, I will send you a good one. But keep in mind, all of them are different, and that's what I love about block printing. I love that's what I love about printmaking in general, is that each one looks different. So you will get, even though the design is the same, it is a totally unique work of art in my opinion. Um, and I'll send you a good one. Maybe I'll send you two because some of them are small. Uh, and at the fifty dollar tier the mega luxury real patrician tier you will get all of that you will also get a unique custom magnet made by lev's father so any design that you want he'll try to make a version of it as long yes. as it's like appropriate not something stupid um yeah because uh, i i know what they're thinking i know exactly yeah, what they yeah want. you'll like, get no. a dick or something like that um i mean maybe if you want i don't know uh you will also get a printout <laughs> Actually, you know what? We could probably extend this to any other tier. Oh, if wait, you are... I have an idea. Geo, I have an idea. It's going to be a dick, 
but like uh, it's going to be uh, layers of a dick. So the way that my father makes his nutcrackers is he makes them in like these wooden plank layers, oh, which yeah, then he combines yeah. together. So the reason being is that you have to remain the patron for five years, and each time you're gonna get another layer of the dick until dick. it becomes yeah. oh, a three-dimensional penis. Yeah. Anyways, that fifty-dollar <laughs> tier, you will get all of the above. You will get um a printout of any uh btr banner image that you want as a poster mm -hmm. so lev's father animates a lot of them lev animates a lot of them but i think even at the 20 or 30 dollar tier we can work something out if you want a specific poster we're gonna yeah. do some kind of red bubble thing where you can get merchandise hopefully you can even get t-shirts with the with something on it with at least the logo but also if you want to buy a custom po poster print we can work something out we have to figure it out but you also get another painting by me which is a bob ross painting style uh, but in That's acrylic, right. and you will also get a Warhammer 40k figure painted by the lovely Jules Hamilton, and you will. So again, you'll get a custom magnet, a, a magnet from the twenty dollar, a print, maybe even two prints from me, a painting by me, and the Warhammer 40k figure, and you will also get access to everything, our undying loyalty at the fifty dollar tier. But uh, yeah, so that is the BTR shilling, and but oh yeah, this is one of the my most favorite. Um, I was literally crying at the end of the episode. This is how important it was to me. Uh, with Alexander Bard, Logo Dead Atlas, Joel Davis, our good friend, John Pellich, and of course, the the great um, Paul Town. Uh, this is oh, one of my go. favorite yeah, yeah. episodes. Um, and, and the reason why I bring this up is and that... And by the way, I have, a, I have something special in regards to that episode. That mm. night, I worked hard. I made um, a dry point etching... I, I'm going to reveal it next week on BTR. Uh, but you could possibly buy that as well as a Patreon tier. Well, and Gio, you were talking about having a t-shirt with a logo. Well, you could have a t-shirt of logo as the logo. You yeah, imagine, imagine like some guy on lit <laughs> on 4chan buying a logo dialist t-shirt being like, I read ampersand. I read selfie suicide. <laughs> I love logo. I love his meta epic contrarianism. Um, well, yeah, imagine that we could have a t-shirt of logo and, uh, it's totally not, I mean, maybe there's going to be some copyright issue. Uh, I don't know, but anyways, this has been amazing. Uh, thank you all for joining us. We have to get Jonathan on because truly, um, there was such an, a lot of stuff I wanted to talk about, but he had to go. Um, this has been great, but Lev, before we go, what is next week on BTR besides the oh. art stream? Oh man. Oh man. So on Sunday on Lev's personal channel we're going to talk about buck breaking yes we are uh, it's going to be amazing okay so here is what we have coming up just give me a little bit of time here i just have to go and, into and the, by uh... the way uh to uh yes uh z-man yes the real paul town was on btr and i was also on his podcast birdie and paul town if you look it up it was a great episode um i believe verse laloon also recently went on his podcast a good friend of ours. But yeah, so, okay, so, so what is next? So here's what's happening. BTR. Okay. Well, first of all, Sunday, June 13th, that's going to be the left stream. Everybody subscribe to June my YouTube channel. Is today Juneteenth, love? Or is that the 19th? I, I don't know. I mean, today's the 10th, so it wouldn't be inth in terms of No, it's of the, the 19th. Uh, yeah, we gotta yeah, have yeah. A, we're going to have a special Juneteenth stream that hopefully yes. won't get us banned off of YouTube. And Hotep so. Sophia is coming. Hotep Sophia is coming on Sunday. Yes, yeah, so we're going to talk and about And safety propaganda. And safety and our, propaganda Yeah, my good friend Adam Lair, who is amazing next level art critic maybe if paju comes again we're gonna have him on with adam 
or Paul Ta or Paul Talk. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we'll see what happens. And the the two Pauls, and over here we have Tuesday, June fifteenth. It's going to be Black dot com pilled six o'clock. Oh, so from, from the, the Fed, Fed Post, Post podcast. Yes, exactly. He's coming in, and okay. Thursday, June 17th, it's going to be another uh, one of those uh, argue my positions. I want it to be about like uh, welfare or uh, uh, what, what do you call it? Like that, uh, the thing that Yang wants to do, the uh, you know uh, UBI. 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 And I want to I want to get some uh, some of our friends in there. So I want to see uh, who can uh, do that. And then we're going to have Bog Beef coming in Tuesday, June 22. We are going to have uh, Tara Panki. I sent you her stuff, Gio. Do you remember? I, I didn't uh, see that. Did you? So she's the Polish. Yes. No, I'll you send didn't. It to you you have to send it, send it, yeah. Okay, I'll send it again. Um, uh, Ivan, Polish. Ivan Popov, uh, Gio bring Borzin reads book culture. Well, um, I, 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 I would, I, ideally, I would want to bring on Borzi, um, but I don't know if he wants to. Uh, I don't know if he's still doing his show, uh, the Third Rail, uh, because he recently, um, some, some very uh. evil ghoul. Uh, doxed him recently uh but maybe if uh if someone can dm me on twitter for a way i i mean i get dogbot's friends with him so maybe we could reach out to dogbot to contact him uh if he wants to come on a uh, juneteenth mag oh my god a juneteenth magnet um maybe a buck breaking magnet we could have that oh my god oh my god All i right, could make next... a print uh i could be like kara walker and have a uh uh, a, a woodblock print of a uh, buck breaking maybe no i'm not gonna do that That's all right stupid. so next next we have the following person let's see i just want to make sure that the chat okay we are gonna have uh let's see we are gonna have uh, a stone age herbalist for the art stream sunday june 27th so that's on my channel and then we're gonna have oh Tuesday, nice easy and then good we're follower Yes, and then we're going to have Sticks, Hex, and Hammers 666 coming in Tuesday, oh, June 29th. Oh, we should bring Peugeot God. in for that one. I think that would be, uh, ah, that would be that a would lot be of great. fun. Yeah. That would be a lot of fun. So, uh, And then we're going to have, I believe, Tuesday, July 6th, we're going to have Default Friend, sewing Discourse with Default Friend. Oh, nice. We are going to have Who's Thursday, also July a good friend of mine. Yes. We're going to have Thursday, July 8th, Uncle Doomer coming in. Oh, and, uh, yes. And a couple of people here um, uh, that are still like, uh, we got to see. And then Thursday, July 22, I hypocrite. We're going to have him. Nice. On. And we are going to work on getting Amy Therese soon so I could creepily hit on her at every single turn. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, we're going to. So, Lev, uh, if we have some dates between now and uh, Jason Giorgiani in August. Um, yes. Well, I do want to get Amy Therese for a sewing discourse. I think uh, um, I think that is definitely doable. And yeah. uh, over here, and hey, Gio Brando. Well, I mean, Apocalypse Now is uh, one of my favorite uh, Brando. Well, no, Gio Brando is actually a reference to JoJo, which you have not. Oh. Uh, well, it's on yes, Tubi, uh, so I can watch JoJo's bizarre there we go. adventures. There we go. And also, what do you think of Bring Contbot on? Ha uh, that, okay, <laughs> I mean, listen, listen. As much as. I can't be too bitter of a person. If he truly did want to come on, I wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, but he's never going to, he'll never come on. But um, 
Well, just I'll like Lindy no Man, or do you think Lindy Man? Lindy come Man, on Lindy Man will not never come on BTR, <laughs> not because he hates us, but because he just he's very sketchy with doing interviews in general. I think because he thinks that doing interviews or podcasts will cut into his uh, thing. But I mean, I would love to have Paul Scalas on. I think yeah. as two Med Bulls, we could really hash it out. <laughs> um, well, maybe if we bring the Seam Taliban, yeah. maybe that's gonna bring. Oh, Lindy they, Man oh on. I, I guarantee we probably have a better chance of bringing. <laughs> Um, i want to use him as bait yeah yeah sticks did a stream with jay dyer in the past oh i think i saw a little bit i mean people have suggested jay dyer jay dyer i mean as a catholic he can be quite vicious but i would love to have jay dyer on um i think like even if we have disagreements um i think jay dyer would be a great guest if we had a reverse debate but i mean Something Heavens, about esoteric yeah. holiday. But of course, we would have to find a Hollywood um, cheese pizza person to reverse debate. Jade, I don't know. I mean, we would have to find some real terrible ghoul. I'll, I'll check the Rolodex, Gio. Yeah. What can I say? Well, okay. because, because of the yeah. stuff that Jay Dyer talks about, um, we'd have to get some pretty evil person to like reverse debate Jay Dyer on stuff. But yeah, I'd love to have well, Jay also, also, I hope discourse. It would be great. I hope we can get Ayla Girl back on for a street. Ayla Girl with, versus Jay Dyer? With, well, no, no. Ayla Girl versus Brittany Venti. I think oh, that would be an interesting one. Oh my god, that would be amazing. <laughs> Ayla Girl versus Alex Kashuda. That would be... Um, yeah. Yeah. There we go. So, fellas, listen. This is a, w- a wonderful stream. We're going to go now. Please subscribe. Please follow us. And also, follow me on Twitter. I got to show my Twitter. I feel like this is a responsible thing for me to do. Twitter.com slash lovepo. L-E-V-P-O. For all the people who are just listening to this on Jade audio. versus Love on Russia. Oh, that would be amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. That would be uh, that would be a lot of fun. We okay, have to here try to find a way to get Alexander Dugan on to debate. Oh, my God. Russia. Gio, yeah. you got... Okay next okay here we go this is what uh this is my twitter over here follow me on twitter here Love it is twitter.com uh, yes exactly Matthew, get ayala the hella out of here ayala ella hell oh i hate that stupid song that was oh but yeah get it get it ella. oh my god well we're gonna talk about ayala with default friend um mm-hmm. so and by the All way right, well, they yeah. uh, her podcast uh, after the orgy her and personality girl they've released um a good episode i'm I'm catching up with all of them uh i i watched this one they did about teenage love which i thought was quite fascinating they were critiquing this book in this movie um i i generally even though it's a podcast for women i truly do believe that men should watch uh or rather listen to the after the orgy podcast with default friend and personality girl i think it gives a great perspective on things from a a uh, femme cell perspective so I can't. No, they're not fem cells. I mean, uh, it's a great, it's a great podcast. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not simping. They're, they're both taken. I'm not simping, please. Um, so yeah. All right, guys, this is the end of the stream. Let me put on the chat for one last time here. Buff, imagine the hysteria. Oh, my. <laughs> imagine the hysteria. Oh God. I used to like that show, by the way, back in the day, Hysteria, oh, which yeah. was his WB show. Yeah, you remember. But they're referring you? to the the women. Hysteria I know, I know, thing. I know. Yeah, yeah. All right, guys. Oh, so this is thank it. you. This is the end. Thank you guys so much for watching. Subscribe God bless. and good night, everybody. And God. And good-